All right, good morning. Go ahead and take a seat. Nice to see you this morning. Hope you're well. April, gosh, April. And the sun came out just a little bit. That's kind of nice. Well, I want to share the second to the last um, installment in our series on 2 Timothy. We're closing out this letter that's the last thing that the Apostle Paul wrote before um, he sacrificed his life for the good news of Jesus Christ. And as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about a time several years ago at a different church where I was a pastor, where I was sitting at my desk, and I was thinking about a memorial service I was getting ready to do that day. And many times when I do memorial services, the text that you're going to hear this morning is one that I want to use, one that I prefer to use um, as I talk about the lives of loved ones who have followed Christ for a number of years, maybe for all their lives, and then gone to their reward in, in heaven. But let me read this text, and I'll tell you the strange, strange incident that I had when I wanted to preach this text but was unable to. Second Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Paul says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all of those who have longed for his appearing. I was in anguish over this text because I wanted to be able to share it at a memorial service that day for Billy. Billy was one of these people that didn't have good chances in life, but you really wanted to cheer for. He was this big teddy bear of a guy with long, slightly curly red hair. He kind of looked granny glasses, the John Lennon granny glasses with the silver frames. And, and Billy was a guy who looked like he stepped right out of Woodstock and into your church. And he'd had a troubled life uh, full of crime and drugs and alcohol. And, uh, and, and he'd had a relationship that didn't work out. And the, the product of that relationship was a little two or three year old girl who had been repeatedly taken away from him and returned to him because of his problems. His dad was trying to help him out. And we'd found Billy and he'd, he'd been a part of our church and he was hanging out with us faithfully and learning to follow Jesus and, and working with his sobriety and battling against this horrible addiction to, um, to heroin. And one of the things with Billy that could be true of all of us is it was hard for him to be patient with himself. You ever find that with you? You feel like either you want to grow instantly and be perfect, or you just want to give up. And that long, steady digging in and growing a little bit at a time can be very difficult. You know what that's like. And, and Billy was a tortured soul in this regard. And his inability to live up to the horribly high standards he internally pressed on himself kept crushing him and crushing him until finally one day he ran into an old friend on the street and he thought he'd pick up just one hit of this black tar Mexican heroin and, and just use a little bit of it to take the edge off because he was having such a hard time living his life. And... Um, they found Billy curled up in his chair at his house 
the needle still stuck, sticking out of his arm. He'd gotten what they call a hot poke. And just that one little shot of heroin had been so powerful that it killed him before he was even able to finish the injection he was doing his arm. We from the church had to go identify him and put this memorial service together. And as I sat there thinking about his life, I thought how much I would like to have preached the text I just read for us this morning, but how Billy just couldn't finish the race. It was just too much for him. He couldn't hang in there. He couldn't persevere and live a patient faith. We all want to run a faith where we make it to the finish line. I know we do. And it's, it's not an easy journey. Paul says in this text, literally, as he looks at his life, that he's being poured out. And this is a graphic, I've, I've shared this before, but it's a very graphic reference to the fact that he knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that he's going to be beheaded in a very short time. And the phrase pouring out was, a, was an idea that was in the culture there that when one was beheaded, the life was poured out of them. So Paul is, is making a direct reference to the way that he's going to die, and he's got nothing to do with that, no way to prevent it. All he can do is face it or perish in the face of that rigor. And though the finish line is near, he's straining, and he's committed to running the race to the very end, even though he knows that that end is not going to be a pretty thing. That end is not going to be an easy thing to face but he won't bail out. And instead he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I've kept the faith. You know, you're going to die. Kind of weird, isn't it, to hear that? Kind of weird to, kind of, kind of weird to square with that, but you're going to die. Nancy and I got a call around lunch last Friday, out of the blue. I was grading doctoral dissertations, and the next thing I knew, I had a bottle of anointing oil in my pocket. I was picking Nancy up, and we drove to Providence Hospital. And one of my old parishioners and somebody I've known for 50 years was laying there in bed. And suddenly her body had shut down at 74 years old, and she was on her way out. And we, we sat vigil with her until she went to be the Lord. And we prayed over her and anointed her with oil. And we, we prayed... And, and I quoted the scripture, which I have memorized to her as we prayed over her and did the Lord's, we, we did the shepherd psalm over her. We sang down in the valley and I come to the garden and all these songs and her family was all around her. And we, we sort of lifted her up to the Lord. And after six or seven hours, she finished her race and passed away right in front of us. And, and she fulfilled this hope. We're all going to die someday. That's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. And the question is, not when is that or how is that going to happen, but the question is, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered when you have run your course through this life? Do you want to be remembered as somebody who flirted with Jesus, had a cultural faith for a few years, or as somebody who doggedly ran the race of life, keeping the faith all the way to the end? We all want to meet the demands of life and for, fight for what's good and hang in there. And it is hard, but it's worth it. A dear friend of mine was in the hospital, sharing a few stories here this morning, because this text is one that rouses stories in me. 
This friend describes lying in the hospital in a mortal risk with a heart infection and laying there and saying all that they could think of was to fight to stay alive for their children. And that was enough to keep them in the fight. Their faith in Christ and their love for family and wanting to finish their mission here was enough to keep them in the game. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. We all have to fight against challenges and we all have to fight against our own weaknesses. And you know what? Jesus is with us in the midst of that fight. Jesus is the one with us encouraging us to continue to run our race. And we can look at examples, severe examples, like the one we see with the Apostle Paul and realize, even with the pressures of a horrible execution caught in a trap, we can live graciously. The fact is, though, that we want to give up at times. Don't you sometimes just want to give up? Sometimes God seems a little far away. Sometimes our prayers seem a little hollow and they don't seem to get out the top of our head. And we want to throw in the towel and we want to give up. But Paul urges us, the Holy Spirit urges us, Jesus in his journey urges us not to give up the race, not to give up the fight, but to go to the end. And our culture is an exhausting culture right now. It's hard to run your race in the United States of America and Western civilization as a Christian without living somewhat counterculturally. Because the race that Paul talks about is a lifetime race. It's one foot in front of the other foot, in front of the other foot, in front of the other foot, all the way down the line. And it's a long obedience in a steady direction toward Christ. That's a marathon pace, but we live in a sprinter's culture. And, and every time your phone rings, every time a new text message comes in, every time there's an opportunity to do something socially, every time there's a seventh, eighth, ninth, and twelfth piece of social media pushed towards you given in any given day, you're encouraged to run at a sprinter's pace. We all watch what the sprinters do in our world. They're like shooting stars. They come across the screen and they flame out and they're gone. And we're not called to be shooting stars. We're called to be people who run the steady race and counterculturally demonstrate that we have the capacity to be changed day by day into the image of Christ and that we have enough endurance to do today and that God will give us the endurance to do tomorrow. It's one of the beautiful things of our Reformed theology, is we always talk about the perseverance of the saints as one of the big, big aspects of our faith. That means that Jesus has called us on this race, and he'll hold us. It means that we have the spiritual energy and nutrition to run the race and do it at the pace that honors God. And live counterculturally to a world that wants us to sprint and move from one affection to the next. Paul indicates in our text it doesn't matter so much how fast we run, but that we stay in the race until the finish line. Don't you love stories about people who run their races? Don't they inspire you? I remember seeing this um, picture of a double amputee 
who had those um, spring-loaded um, prosthetic limbs for running, and they had run like a full 26-mile marathon without their own native-born legs. They had these prostheses on as they ran a marathon, and yet they covered that 26-mile course. They didn't have the greatest time, but they finished the race. They won the prize because they stayed in the show. I love stories like that. My dad was lying in bed about a week before he died, maybe two weeks. I went and visited him, and his feet were going like this in the bed at the nursing home. I said, Dad, you got the, like, crazy legs? You got the nervous leg syndrome? He said, what? I said, you got the nervous leg thing going on. Your feet are all over the place. And he lifts them up even higher, and he goes like this with his feet, and he goes, no, dummy. I, I, don't, I don't have the crazy legs. I'm... I'm, I'm exercising. If you don't use them, you lose them. He's, he's in the bed that he never got out of again, and he's practicing to get up and continue the race. These are people that inspire us. I think Paul's text here, one of the things that's so lovely and enduring, is it invites us to this long race. And it tells us that we can, even though most of us aren't sure we can. Are you ever not sure that you can make it? Sure you're, sure you're not sure, because we're all not sure some of the time that we're not sure that we're not sure. But the fact is, Jesus is sure with us, and he assures us that we can and we will run the race. How do we do that? My only answer is to slow down, Hold on to God. Live today, but set your sights off in the future. And know that you can make it, that you can run the race, that you can finish it, that we can put God above every challenge. I think that's one of the the biggest things that I face in my life, and I think we all do. When we hit challenges or we hit dry spots in our journey or our relationships seem flat, at those points, to stop and bring God into the situation consciously and say, Lord, I'm going to claim you over the circumstances that I'm living in right now. I don't understand how I'm going to get through this. I don't understand what this all looks like for me in the future. I don't understand whether I'm going to have to pay some difficult price to get through this situation I'm in my life in or not. But the fact is, I'm going to claim that you stand above all that, Jesus. And you you don't have to be one of those people when people say, how are you doing? You say, I'm pretty good under the circumstances. I had an old Pentecostal pastor in Tacoma. Somebody would say, I'm good under the circumstances. You'd say, what are you doing under the circumstances? Get out of there. (laughs) Don't live under the circumstances. Live under the reign of Christ. You know, this is where you need to be. And our text concludes with Paul saying, Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who long for his appearance. This crown of righteousness sounds a little antiquated to some of us, perhaps. But in those days when somebody won a race, they were usually given a crown made of some kind of fresh greenery. In fact, one of the big awards for winning a race in the Olympics was a 
crown made out of celery, which you probably wouldn't want to wear around, but these people treasured on top of their head because it was a symbol of victory. Isn't that kind of cool? You go make yourself a crown of celery and walk around with it. But that, that crown of righteousness, the word righteous is a verb which means to be rectified. Righteousness doesn't mean we're perfect, that we did everything right in the race, that we didn't ever stumble, we didn't ever fall, we didn't ever pause, we didn't ever turn around and start running back the other way. I've tried to run from God a number of times. By the way, don't do it, it doesn't work. Um, but you can always try, but it does not work. Okay? But in all of this, righteousness is not a description of moral perfection. It means that you're in a rectified or right relationship with God. So in whatever circumstance we find ourselves to be righteous is to claim our relationship with Christ in the midst of and over the top of whatever we're going through in our lives. And it's not always a triumphal miracle story at the end. Sometimes we go through just rough, rough patches. Sometimes we want things to get better here in this world, and they don't. As somebody with diabetes and stage 3 kidney disease, I have all kinds of fantasies about things being right when I'm not sure that's even in God's mind. I just have to deal with what I've got. i got to live with God in the middle of that. We all do, all the way to the finish line. And, you know, we can start claiming God in the midst of our circumstances today. The first struggle you hit this week, the first curveball you get thrown to say, Lord, you're bigger than this, and I'm going to cling to you, and I'm going to ride through this with you. I'm going to seek to understand what you're doing in my life, shaping me, no matter what I run into. And that's how we wind up right with him, and we wind up wearing this crown. Today, as we come to the Lord's table, I think I come longing for the nourishment of my soul and my spirit, the nourishment that will give me the strength and endurance to finish the race like Paul. Don't we all, as we live our life, want to be able to say, I have fought the good fight, given it everything I've got. I've run the race. I've done everything that's laid out before me. Hard times, sad times, bad times, mistakes and failures. But I'm going to finish this race. I'm going to run the course. And all along the way, I'm going to open-handedly accept God's help and accept, finally, my eternal place with him in heaven. So as we come to this table today, in a long line of saints in the history of the church, all the believers who have gone before us, all the believers in the world who are taking this supper today, we come seeking nourishment, seeking energy to run and finish the race. Let's pray. Lord God, we do give you great thanks and praise for creating us. Thank you, Lord, for our challenges that sharpen and strengthen us. Thank you for those places where we're forced to be dependent on you and for the way you prove yourself to us in those times of stress. Thank you, Lord, for the way you shape us through the things that delight us, and through the things we find painful and strenuous. Lord, we realize 
in our journey as we come to this table that we haven't always been right with you. We haven't always been rectified. In fact, even as we come this morning, we're conscious of our shortcomings and our sin. So God, in this moment of silence, we offer you our confessions of sin. Hear our prayers. Hear our confessions, Lord, and forgive us. Lord, we lift up those around us who are in need. Folks in our families, our friendship circle. We pray for the sick among us that they'd be touched by your healing hand. Lord, we think about our world and its many strains. Particularly, Lord, we bow before you in regard to this famine in Africa that threatens the lives of 20, 25 million human beings. And we beg, Lord, that you would intervene in that situation and rescue many. For the divisions and chaos in our own nation, Lord, We pray that as we humble ourselves and turn our eyes to you, that you would heal our land. Lord, now we come to you in one voice, praying the prayer you taught your first followers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.